Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. A true story. They were riding around the city, going to places that they knew they had scored crack before. It got to be around 3 a.m. They were driving, and as they were driving, He kept dipping below the dashboard whenever they'd pass a car. He didn't want anyone to see him in this car. I don't know if that's because they felt they were going to get caught. Or maybe it was just an effect of the drug. They ended up driving around a neighborhood in the projects All the apartment buildings looked the same. But he finally said, I think that's the one. He pointed at a building that looked like all the other buildings. There was really no distinguishing factor. But she believed him. She parked the car and started to open the door. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going to go up there and find out if I can score. He dashed below the dashboard again. She walked up to the door and knocked on the door about 3.15 a.m. Nobody answered. She knocked again. Finally, the door started creaking open. It got wider and wider, and then she saw the person inside was holding a shotgun, and it was pointed at her head. She said, I'm sorry to bother you. I just heard that maybe this was a place to score some crack. She waited. It seemed like An eternity went by. The woman at the end of the shotgun leaned outside, putting the barrel of the gun even closer to her, looked both ways, pulled the gun up, and said, Come in. A few minutes later, there was a rapid knocking at that door. She had a frightened look on her face, and so did the woman who had let her inside. Then she remembered and said, Oh, it's just X. He was in my car. 
The woman went over, opened the door, let him in. The three of them then smoked crack for the next couple of hours. Eventually, he said to the driver, Hey, can you swing me by my grandmother's when you take me home? And actually, we need to leave pretty soon. I have to pick up a suit because I need to be at court at 9 o'clock. I was the driver in that story. I used crack for a sustained period of my life in the late 80s. It changed my life. It could have ruined it, but it didn't. And I should give a little preface. This is a difficult podcast for me to do. I was trying to figure out why it's difficult. The stories that I'm going to tell you about my relationship with crack happened a long time ago. So it's not like I'm confessing something that's currently a problem in my life. But I do think about you, the listeners, and I think there's probably somebody out there who's going to hear these stories about this behavior that I had and not like me as much. And even though I want to be, you know, I I don't want that to affect my behavior overall, I'm human, and of course I want people to like me. And so even if there's just a handful that are listening that think, gee, this woman's an asshole. I don't want to listen to this anymore. How did she ever get mixed up in this crap? I understand. And I weighed it all out and I decided I needed to do this podcast anyway. It's partially because... I have told myself and I have told you too that this project is about revealing a life with all its ups and downs, a truthful account of a life. And so this was a part of my life that defined part of who I am. And I also thought, well, maybe somebody could benefit from hearing a story from someone who was at one time mired in a situation that was not good for them that no longer is in that situation. That there is a way out. I mean, my way out is not the same as another person's way out and not another person's way out. and But maybe that could give hope to someone who might be mired in a situation now. I don't use cocaine anymore. I have regret about that period in my life, but it wasn't all bad. You know, did you ever see the movie Train Spotting? It's a great movie. 
difficult to understand because of the accents, but Ewan McGregor might have been his breakout film. So I think it's from the 80s. It's about doing heroin, not crack, not cocaine. Crack is cocaine. Um, but still, there are things about that movie and drug use or drug abuse, which can be very different for some people and the same for other people. But anyway, uh, a lot of similarities, a lot of patterns that you can apply from one situation to the other, from one drug to the other. But in Train Spotting, Ewan McGregor has this line. Somebody's asking him, I think in the police station, how he could be so stupid to be doing heroin. And I'm not going to quote it exactly because I can't remember exactly, but the gist of what he says is, we don't do drugs because we're stupid. We do them because it feels good. So I know I was in danger at some of the time when I was doing crack, but I also had fun. And I also felt at that time like I was overwhelmed and I wanted an escape. I also wanted desperately to hang out with the people that I was doing crack with. It happened for me at a very stressful time in my life. I had been rejected right before in a relationship. I had work disappointments and failures, and my mom was dying. She was getting sicker right in front of my eyes. I'm not excusing this behavior, if that's what it sounds like. I'm just providing context. A true story. One night when X and I were out doing crack, I ended up at the home of a woman who had a harem of young boys. They were delivery boys for her. They delivered crack around the city for crack. And I think they were also her paramours. She was a large woman and she was disabled. And she, when I went into her house, was laying on a couch like a throne. I was there doing a deal and then doing crack with some of the people there. And I looked across and I recognized somebody. And this story is a lot like the story where I was working at the gas station and I saw someone come up to pay for gas and I was embarrassed that I was working at the gas station. And when they said hi and they used my real name, I did not answer. I said, you've got the wrong person. It's kind of a similar situation. I remembered this person from about fourth grade. And when he saw me and he recognized me, he laughed. And he said, 
I would never have expected you to be here. And I just shrugged. I understood where he was coming from, but at the same time, you never know what somebody's going through. You never know where you might see someone. I wasn't embarrassed that time, but it's because I was high. I had, well, before I talk about how I got initiated into it, let me tell you about crack. Did you know that crack is cocaine? It's base cocaine. So it is cooked down with water and baking soda so that all the extra stuff is cooked out of powder cocaine and made into little chunks. It gives a much more intense high than snorting cocaine. I have heard that the high is akin to injecting cocaine, but I have never done that, so I can't say. It's called crack because that's the sound that it makes when you light it. Actually, that's when you know right after the crack to inhale, not before. It smells like petroleum. It reminded me also of the smell of Neutrogena. Every time I have smelled Neutrogena since this period in my life, I have thought of crack. I suppose Neutrogena has some petroleum product in it, and that's why. It makes you feel extremely confident when you have a hit, especially the first hit. It revs you up. It gives you tremendous energy. When people say they're chasing the buzz, so there's nothing like that first hit of crack. Now, I was a person who did crack about once a month during this time period. I would binge it for a long time, maybe, well, not long according to other people's binges, but maybe for 18 hours. And I could feel that same kind of rush every time I took that first hit of crack. They say that goes away if you do it a lot. I was able to recover that feeling. It definitely is an escape and a feeling of euphoria until you can't reach that level anymore during the time you're doing it. And then you start feeling kind of crazy and paranoid and you look at the bottom of your car for little crumbs of it. In fact, crumbs is another word, street, lang, street slang for crack. So I, you smoke it in a thing called a shooter, which is made out of a section of pipette 
and usually a piece of chore boy, you know, the stay, uh, the, uh, oh, what's it called? You know, steel wool. I remember one time driving around with a woman I didn't know, and we were going from grocery store to grocery store looking for some chore boy. Uh, in my hometown, you could buy shooters already made if you knew the drive throughs to go through and get it. If you didn't get an already made one, you could buy those flowers that came in a stem from 7-Eleven and break off part of the pipe and use that. I had tried cocaine a few times, relatively, uh, before trying coke. It was a person that I was very close to and I love who introduced me to crack cocaine. I loved to be near these people. They also introduced me to places to get it. I remember one time driving around the downtown area of my hometown and getting ripped off. That could happen. You could drive up to a corner where somebody was selling crack. You could pay in the money. They give you a baggie. Then you take it out and you realize it's bits of soap. I remember one time I was so upset. I told the person that I was driving around with, the person who needed to be at court at 9 a.m. in the earlier story, I said, go chase them and get our money back. And he said, I'm not chasing them. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he was right to say that. I was so saddened watching my mother die. And yet I felt like I was paralyzed, like my feet were in cement. I lived with her. I was not a good caregiver. I am not a good caregiver. I don't know how people who are great caregivers do it. I don't know if they're born with that. For me, it was all about doing what I needed to do and then running away. I, I cry about this still. This is a part that I regret, that I was out doing this drug when I could have been with her for another day. And I did take some money from her during a crack binge, and I don't know if I'll ever forgive myself for that. She figured out what was going on. I don't know if my work ever did or not, because I didn't let it interrupt my work. I was pretty young. I was able to make my own hours for the newspaper I was working for. But when my mom figured out, in the depth of her disease, her terminal illness, she wrote to Cokie Roberts. Remember Cokie Roberts? She loved Cokie Roberts. And then I loved Cokie Roberts. And R.I.P. Cokie Roberts, I still love you. My mom wrote to Cokie Roberts and said, my daughter has a drug problem. And then told all about me. And then said, what do you think I should do? Cokie Roberts wrote back to her. 
and told her about some treatment facilities in our area. My mom asked me if I would go to treatment. At first I said, no, no, no. My sister, a nurse, was able to find some connections. It's not that easy to go to treatment. I don't know if people know that or not, but to find an open bed at the time when you need to go is a quest that is not an easy one. But my sister had connections, so she found me a bed. So I eventually said, yes, I would go. I had to leave my job. I never talked to people from that job again. Well, actually, I did. One one person. Um, and when I, my mom seemed so happy that I would go. I told my mom, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to get better. And then I'm going to come back and we'll have a whole new life. Neither of us did. She died while I was in treatment. I came back. My apartment that I had shared with her was emptied out by an awful person. My lease had been severed. I had nowhere to go. So I did stop using crack. And I always connected crack with the death of my mother. And I think that was very effective in helping me stay off crack. But a year or two later, I did some cocaine again. And so I guess this is a two-parter because I'd like to talk about my time in treatment and the aftermath of that and then my history with cocaine. I've had many questions about my times with cocaine. Most of the times that I uh, was using cocaine in any habitual way, I did not have a plant or a pet or a partner. It didn't really affect my work. But of course, I'm sure that some of my relationships suffered because of it. And I'm sure that the way my lungs are today is absolutely affected by the use of that drug. I am a person who believes in free will. If you're not hurting anyone else, and I suppose that's why I brought up the pet, the plant, the partner, if you're not hurting anyone else, I think you should be able to do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt someone else. Um, but cocaine is a toxic drug. I mean, there, you know, there's not a lot of use for it outside making you feel great for a moment. I guess if you had to work a lot, I know that uh, people in Colombia, the country, chew coca leaves because they work a lot. But if you know me and this podcast, you know I'm not a big fan of working a lot. So <laughs> I think for me, the cocaine was just a way to escape. So, well, I think I need to stop right now. This is a little emotional for me. Um, and it's kind of exhausting. 
So it's the first of a two-parter. I say it's exhausting. It feels like coming off a drug, right? So even though I'm not confessing something that I'm doing right now, it's still a confession of magnitude about something that was a part of me. I hope you're still here when I come back. Thanks for listening. Keep thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever